simple faith, we say, Lord, save me. A miraculous thing happens. You wash all of our sin away. You reconcile us with the Holy Father, with God Almighty, and we become believers. And then when we face difficulties in life, we continue to fly back to that place of refuge, the cross, where our sins are forgiven and we are made right with God. Thank you, Lord, that we can sing this morning, It Is Well With My Soul. If someone can't sing that, Lord, I pray today that you would point them to the Savior in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. There was a very unusual auction on eBay not too long ago. And uh, this was a fundraiser, actually, for a nonprofit organization. But one item that was up for bid caught everyone's attention. To the highest bidder, the honor was given of being written into a Stephen King novel. That's right. If you bid enough, your name could be placed in the novel. Not only that, you could die in the novel. It was billed as the gift for the ultimate fan, promised literary immortality to the highest bidder. There were 76 bidders and someone bid over $25,000 to have their name put into a novel. It's interesting when you think about what might motivate someone to part with over 25 grand simply to have their name written where everyone can see it. But we like having our name in stories. Someone has well said that we are curious about the life stories of other people, not simply because they're often interesting, but also because they have the power to suggest possibilities for our own lives as well. We place each new story alongside our own narrative, allowing the new story to speak into our lives and offer hope. The stories that have the most power over us are those which hold forth the most promise for us. Promise of recovery, promise of progress. We must feel that this story that we want to attach to is true. And we must feel that the story is true or can be true of us. We must feel that the story is true and we must feel that the story can be true of us. And if it is, then that story, so compelling, draws us into it and we're fascinated. Well, I tell you, that is one of the great allures of the scripture itself. For this book is my story and it's yours. Oh, you read in the Old Testament about the Hebrews and you say, well, I'm not a Jew, so that's not my story. But then you realize they are about the people of God. They're the uh, Old Testament people of God. And soon there will be a New Testament people of God. And they are connected together as one tree with different branches. And so when I read the story, I read my story. When we study the book of Ephesians, as we have been doing, I am seeing my story in this book, even though I've never lived in Ephesus. Visiting doesn't count. 
Even though that was centuries ago, it is still the story of the human race and it opens up great possibilities for me. So I read in Ephesians chapter 2 that all people, including myself, we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. That's the way we're born into this world. We walk according to the prince of the power of the air. We are the sons, the children of disobedience. We follow after the dictates of our own wicked heart. And then grace steps in and changes it all. We're saved not by our own works, but by grace. And once saved by grace, chapter 1 tells us we are adopted. And we're in the family of God. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And we are seated in the heavenlies with all of the blessings that accrue to us. Because Jesus is our elder brother unlimited possibilities and so when I come to chapter 4 it says all right Don this is your life start living it walk worthy of your calling walk worthy of the transformation that has been wrought in your soul by the Spirit live in unity with other believers from all races and walk in purity so when we come to chapter 5, that is still the theme. Let's walk worthy of our calling. This is our story. This is our mandate. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, walk in love. Just like God loved us in Christ. Imitate God. Walk in love. Walk in love, not in selfishness. Chapter 5, verse 8. Walk in light, not in darkness. You're children of the light. You once were darkness, but now you've been redeemed. Walk as children of the light. And now today we come to a third walk. It's found in verse 15. And it says, walk in wisdom, not foolishness. In fact, we're only going to look at four verses this morning. And these four verses, each one has something of a couplet to it, a comparison, a contrast, or maybe even command and reason for command. But it's all about a wise walk. So he says in verse 15, be very careful then how you live. Why? Because you're not darkness, you're light. In other words, take trouble with your Christian life. The idea of care sometimes has the thought of worry or trouble. And indeed, we need to spend time, invest energy in caring for our Christian life. Take trouble with your life. Be very careful how you walk. Make sure it is not unwise, but rather wise. So there is the wise walk. Christians are not to be fools. For Christ's sake, we are considered fools, but we are not to live foolishly. We are to live with great wisdom. Do you know what wisdom is? Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge to real life situations. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge to real life situations in the appropriate manner. I, I think of playing chess. Do you know how to play chess? I know how to play chess. 
But if you know how to play chess very well, I'm going to lose almost every time. Because I know how to move the pieces. I've tried to play against the computer and usually lose in six, seven moves. And some young person will come up and say, do you know how to play chess? And I say, yes, I do. And you sit down and start playing, and he beats me in four moves. And then I realize I know how to play the game as far as knowledge goes, but I'm not very wise. I'm not very good. Some people have a lot of knowledge. They actually know what's right. They just don't know how to put right into their life. They're foolish. They're not wise. And so Paul says we need to walk in love and in light and in wisdom. So this morning we want to focus on three things that uh, will make us wise. Three marks of a wise individual. And the first one is this. A wise person is concerned about God's gift called time. Notice in verse 16. A wise walk involves with making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Time is God's gift. Time equals life. And what you put your time in, you love. So you could actually say time equals love. What do you love? That's what you spend your time doing when you have free time, discretionary time. Time is life, and it's a great gift from God, and it has to be spent at a certain rate. We lost an hour of time today. Well, technically we didn't. They're just playing games with us, but it seems like we did. And yet you and I often lose hours of time because we're eh, just killing time. Really? Killing the precious gift of life that God has given to you? Now, we use that phrase sometimes when we're caught at the store and our spouse is doing something and we have nothing to do, so we're just killing time. Should we not be redeeming the time? Investing the time? That's exactly what this portion of Scripture tells us to do. In fact, it uses the very same word that is used in chapter 1, to talk about being redeemed by the blood of Christ. In the NIV it says making the most of every opportunity, but the Greek word is redeem, to buy back. In other words, there's a cost to take time away from uh, the one who has captured it from us or the one who would steal it from us. We must redeem it. And the cost is the coin of self-discipline. That's what we need. We need to seize every fleeting opportunity. We need to learn time management, and it's a costly thing to do because you and I aren't prone to self-discipline and self-control. We're talking about life opportunities, and the wise person realizes that life is fleeting and they must invest the moments while they can for the glory of God, and for the good of their own life. Are you a time waster or a time investor? Now, he gives a motive here. I said that every verse has a couplet. Here's the couplet here. He tells us what to do and why we should do it. He says, because the days are evil. That means the days are diseased. <laughs> We're living in evil days. 
Evil is predominant in our culture, is another way to put it. And we need to be careful that we're not people of our times. That is, that the world molds us and shapes us into the form it wants us to possess instead of being molded and shaped by the Lord. The days are evil all around us. The days are diseased. So if you're living in that kind of context, you've got to be extremely careful how you walk, and you need to make sure that you capture the time from being taken away from you or being used for evil things. Have you ever heard that phrase, he's a product of his times? If you ever studied study biographies, a good biography is going to study the times in which a person lived. And the big debate continues on. Does the person influence their times or do the times influence the person who has the greatest influence? And they both influence one another. And you cannot have a person living apart from their times. But how sad it would be if we, if we are only a product of our times. I think the way I think because of the wicked world around me. I act because of the way I act because of the wicked world around me. No, I've been redeemed by the grace of God. I'm no longer darkness. I've got to think differently and walk differently. And the first mark of a true disciple is that they realize time belongs to God. And I want to buy it back. I want to use it for the glory of Almighty God. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. There's a second mark of the wise person, and we see that in verse 17. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So secondly, a wise person comprehends God's will. There's a sense of understanding. There's a sense of uh, not just knowledge, but embracing the will of God. This is a very interesting verse. Literally, it says, don't be mindless, but use your mind to understand God's will. One great scholar said, the saints are encouraged to make use of reasoning power. God created us in his image. One factor in the image of God is this ability to think and reason. Now, it's, it is easy for our reason to be affected by our times, but if our reason is being renewed by the grace of God, then our mind is to be used in understanding the will of God. If you jump back to chapter 4, it says that we are to be, verse 23, made new in the attitude of our minds. It's an amazing thing God has given us, this ability to think and to feel and to reason. God's will is best, and it must be comprehended. It must be understood. It must be found. It must be discovered. And usually when we talk about the will of God, we have a tendency to go immediately to those secondary areas, although vitally important, but not as important as the primary areas. Secondary areas are not very clear. Primary areas are abundantly so. So what is the will of God for you? I can tell you that the will of God for you is to be thankful, because that's exactly what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says. Be joyful, be prayerful, 
be thankful, for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. And we could go throughout the scriptures and put a whole list of what God's will is for us. And when you get, when you get centered on the clear, general will of God for everyone, then you'll have the ability to attack those more difficult questions. Like, should I take this job? Should we sell our house? Should I marry this person? All of those secondary issues, vital they are, but you won't find a chapter and verse for them. And woe to the person who thinks they shall. <laughs> I'm looking for a verse here to see if I should sell my house. And suddenly you come across a verse. I, I had a friend who actually did this. He, he was living in a, a town called Bethany in Oklahoma. And he said, Lord, what should I do? And he came across an Old Testament verse that said Jacob left Beth Bethany. And he said, that's what I must do. That's God's will for me. And I said, whoa, that's dangerous. Judas went out and hung himself. Don't read that on a bad day. <laughs> we have a tendency to read God's will into the word to justify actions and decisions we've already made. That's really dangerous. Now, I'm not saying God can't use his word to lead you even in more specific ways because he has. But just be careful. I think John Stott has a, a great perspective on this. He says, we need to discover the will of God in general for all of his people in Scripture and the particular will of God for each individual. And that comes partly from Scripture, partly in prayer, partly through discussing the issue with others, and partly through using the mind that God has given you. Let me give that again. General will of God is found in scriptures. We have to also find that individual, particular will of God, and that comes partly from scripture, understanding biblical principles, partly in prayer, Lord, what do you want me to do? Partly in discussion with others who are wise and godly, in the multitude of counselors, their safety, and partly through using the mind that God has given you. Think it through. Think it through. My dad worked for IBM, and he had a big sign in his office that said, Think. I never liked that sign. I didn't think it was complete. Think about what? And, and my dad's response would simply be, Learn to think. Use your brain. I heard that quite a bit. Think. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. So you need to understand. Don't be foolish. Don't be mindless. Don't say, oh, I can't understand. Seek God's will in his word. Understand what it is. Embrace it. Why? Because you'll never use your time wisely in the evil day unless you clearly know what is best. And God's will is indeed best. God's will can be uncovered. God's will can be discovered. Listen to these verses. John chapter 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, Jesus said, he will obey my teaching, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and disclose ourselves to him. Do you want God and Jesus to open themselves up to you? Obey the word. That's John 14, 23. In John 7, 17, Jesus said, If anyone does God's will, 
He'll find out whether this teaching I'm giving is from myself or truly from God, whether I speak on my own or the Father is speaking through me. If we do the will of God, we'll have the understanding of Scripture and we'll also have the understanding of God himself and his will. But there's a third thing. The wise person is concerned about God's gift. They're seeking to comprehend God's will. And finally, the wise person is under the control of God's spirit. Now, this subject is actually going to take us a couple weeks to get into, but I want to, at least at the beginning, talk about verse 18. Again, think of the couplet. Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the spirit. Make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Don't be mindless. What are we to do? Understand the will of the Lord. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I must get technical just for a moment because I think this is vital. When you are saved, the Spirit of God comes to live in you. In Romans, it says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not one of His. Now, before Pentecost, it was a different story. The Spirit would come upon people and leave people. And David even prays, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But for those of us who've been born after Pentecost, which happens to be all of you, and those of you who've been born again, the Spirit comes in and lives and never leaves. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what it said back in Ephesians chapter 1. But the sealing of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit are two different things. This idea to be filled with the Holy Spirit means the Holy Spirit takes control. One time a person came up to D.L. Moody and said, how come you're always talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit? He says, the fact is we're leaky vessels. And we have to keep ourselves underneath the fountain all the time to keep full of Christ in order to have a fresh supply. So I might have the filling of the Holy Spirit this morning, but I could lose it or leak it out and will leak it out uh, in the afternoon if I don't continue to look to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to mention next week that part of being filled with the Holy Spirit goes back to the very thing we just quoted a moment ago from the Gospel of John, obey God's Word. When you obey God's Word, you're in sync with the Spirit, and when you're in sync with the Spirit, He's more in control of you. But to get technical just for a moment, this is a command so we would say it's in the imperative mood. It's a command, be filled. It is a command in the present tense, which means keep being filled. And then it is in the passive mode, which means you don't do it, someone does it for you. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if I'm going to live the Christian life, I must take responsibility. I must carefully watch how I walk. I must redeem the time. I must buy it back. I must know the will of God. Think it through. Commit myself to it. But I can do none of this without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. 
The wise person is concerned about life situations, comprehends godly strategies, the will of God, and finally is endued with divine empowerment, the Lord's control in our lives. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, what Paul is not saying is, listen, when you are drunk on wine, you have no idea who you are. You have no control of yourself. That's what happens when you get filled with the Spirit. Suddenly, the Spirit comes in and takes over, and boom, you have no control. You're not under control anymore. You say things you don't want to say and do things you don't want to do or didn't plan to do, and it becomes like some of those people you've seen who get into a frenzy and start foaming at the mouth and falling down in front, and that's spirit-filled. No, I don't think so. Because the point he's trying to make is that just as you lose control when you're drunk with wine, so... (laughs) The same thing happens when you're filled with the Spirit. Now, I think it means this, that just as wine can fill you up and influence you, so you need to be filled up by the Holy Spirit and be influenced in the way you walk and in the way you talk, even in the way you sing. Isn't it interesting that drunk people have a tendency to sing when maybe they would never sing on their own? And that's true with Spirit-filled people who will sing when maybe they don't enjoy singing on their own. Now, one of the most interesting things about Ephesus that we must always keep in the back of our mind is that as Paul is writing to this church, look out your back window, and this is what you see, the temple to Diana. Now, this temple was one of the great ancient wonders of the world. I can't remember how many columns, 120 columns, columns 60 feet high I mean it's astounding and if you visit Ephesus today they'll show you some of the foundation stones of this temple and they've even erected one of the columns uh, just a third of the way up just to give you a sense a lot of people don't even go there because it's really not on the beaten path but you can see it from a distance it was an amazing place now Diana was the goddess of fertility which means that much of the worship that went on in this temple and around its environment was sexual immorality. Coupled with that, along with the Diana worship, was the worship of Dionysius, which involved the worship of Bacchus, who was the god of wine. So you've got a couple things going on when Diana is being worshipped and when Dionysius is being worshipped, and that is uncontrollable sex that was part of their worship and wine and alcohol to the place where people were simply drunk. Excessive alcohol dehumanizes people, turning them into beasts. There was a lot of wild singing and wild music and processions that were going on. And you can go to the British Museum today and see all kinds of artifacts coming from that museum uh, on plates and pictures and and, uh, all kinds of things 
that show the worship of Diana and Bacchus in a very immoral way. It's very possible that the Apostle Paul is saying, let me give you a contrast. Look outside your window and what do you see during the festival of Dionysius, Bacchus, or Diana? Uncontrollable uh, human action in immorality and drunkenness. Now, I want you to know that you are no longer darkness, you are light. You're no longer hate, you're love. You're no longer foolish, you're wise. You're no longer drunk. You're controlled by the Holy Spirit. And some of the very things that Paul's going to talk about when he talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is not all that happens when you're filled, but this is some of it, this has a correlation with the wicked worship going on in Ephesus in that day. The singing, speaking to one another. The, the praising or thanking, which is what you do to a God. And then the whole idea of submission and losing control. So the point is this. If you're a wise person, you are going to make use of your time. You're going to understand what God's will is. And to get all of that done, you're going to be under the power of the Holy Spirit who influences the way you think and the way you talk and the way you walk and the way you live. And we'll talk more about that effect even next week. So how wise are you? Isaac Watts said, Order my footsteps in your word and make my heart sincere. Let sin have no dominion, Lord, but keep my conscience clear. Let me live in such a way that this story becomes mine. We talked about many stories in the Bible attaching to us, uh, alluring us, drawing us in because they're so compelling and they hold forth the hope that we can recover and improve. But you know there's a lot of bad stories in the Bible too. Don't let one of those stories become yours. Let this story become yours. Transferred out of darkness into his marvelous light, now living, redeeming the time, understanding the will of God and under the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I'm sure in that day it was very hard to walk in a manner that pleased you. In fact, you tell us in the scriptures that we are to be careful to find out what pleases you, verse 10 of chapter 5. And we are to understand what your will is, verse 17. This is what you call us to do. But just as it was difficult in that day to live a godly life, so it is difficult today. I'm not sure it's any harder. But Lord, we need your grace. We need your wisdom. We need your power. We must be filled with your Spirit. And Lord, we confess our sin that we are often filled with ourselves, our agenda, our loves, our passions and desires, instead of being filled with you. So today, Lord, I pray that you would cleanse us, wash us, and once again, give your Holy Spirit to us without measure. Search our hearts, O oh God, 
and renew a right spirit within us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.